Welcome to Saving UX. I'm your host, Jeremy Kriegel. I believe UX is struggling. Look, there are more people doing the work than ever before, and every company says they're customer focused. So why does it feel so hard? And I don't mean the work. The work can be hard. That's okay. Why does it feel like we need to fight to do the things that will benefit the people we serve and the organizations we work with? I've been in this fight for more than 25 years, and I believe it's a fight worth having. UX done well and applied to important problems can change the world. Every week I talk to UX veterans about the challenges facing our practice and what we can do to make it better. This week I'm joined by April Starr. Uh, April, so glad to have you. And speaking of uh, design to make it better, I mean, we'll talk about the cancer sheets, but that's uh, again, an incredible example of applying design to a very meaningful problem. Um, full disclosure, April and I kind of go way back. We knew each other in college. We worked together at Sapient. So um, yeah, th that's about us. But April, maybe for folks listening who might not be familiar with your work, could you give a little bit about your background just to provide a little bit of context for the conversation? Sure. Um, I'm currently the director of experience research at Motorola Solutions. So not the cell phone Motorola, but the Motorola that um, creates software um, and hardware for public safety agencies, so police, fire, EMS. Um, prior to that, I worked at um, McGraw-Hill Education. I've worked at startups. Um, I was at IDEO. I've worked at D-Scout. Um, I've worked on the research and design sides. I've worked on the corporate and consulting sides. Um, I have a long, sordid history of, of jobs. If you look on my LinkedIn, uh, you name it, I've done it. Uh, every industry, uh, pretty much everything. Um, I've just kind of jumped from job to job. Wherever I've found a big, nasty problem, I've, I've just followed it. So, Yeah, I think that's something we share. I've, I've done a lot of the same, not staying in two, one place for too long, um, looking for the hairy problems and been all over the place. So. You also, you have this deep experience, quite varied. How do you describe, or how do you think about where we are as a UX practice uh, and maybe in context from, you know, how, is, how has it changed over time? You know, maybe what's better, what's worse? Yeah, how, where are we in this current moment? Um, you know, it's so strange, you know, having been in this field for 20 years and thinking back um, on where it started. Uh, I mean, it's, it's weird just growing old, like at all, but, but looking back, you know, I started my career, um, at a place called eLab, which was a small, um, market research consultancy that was born out of, uh, the Doblin group in Chicago. And, and they were the first to really do, um, a lot of deep ethnography, um, as a part of their work. Um, and I learned so much from, um, working there. And, you know, they would assemble teams of, you know, maybe three to six people that would go off and study a topic. Um, and those teams were comprised of people like, um, uh, you know, PhDs in anthropology, sociology. They would have comedians in the, on the team, actors, um, just people that thought about human behavior in all different ways, designers, um, and I just, I loved the diversity of perspective that that afforded. And, you know, as I went through my career, um, 
you know, the research team got smaller and smaller until it was just down to one person. And that, and then the research projects were on the shoulders of that one person. Um, and it was so hard um, and stressful. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and those consultancies got bought up by those management consultants uh, or, you know, tax consultants or whatever they may be. Um, and everything's just really been swallowed up. Um, and so I don't really know where we are anymore. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, I feel like where the field started and I, I definitely feel like that, you know, old crotchety lady, like I liked it way back when, um, but I did like it way back when, I mean, I thought there was more rigor in the work. Um, and I thought the way we did it was, you know, uh, better <laughs> for many different reasons. Um, and I just think we've lost a lot of that for, for various reasons. So I think, I think we've made a, a trade-off between, um, you know, getting more business buy-in um, and getting business to accept us. Um, but because of that, I think right now we've had to, we've sort of been nickel and dimed a little bit. And so now we're not able to do the work the way the work should be done. And that's why people like you and, and me are sort of caught in the middle of that fight, trying to make space for our teams to just do the work the way it should be done as best it can be done in the context in which we work. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear you reminisce about some of those eLab days. I think some of those folks were still there when right, Sapient uh, acquired eLab, right? And there was that diverse yeah. team of of the deep ethnography and those uh, those other more offbeat disciplines, like you said, but we're experts in human behavior. And now it's hard to do even basic user research in most areas. Um, but it, it, if you ask someone, do they care about being user-centered? Do they want to serve their uses? They say yes. So where do you see the disconnect? Why, why do people say they value serving users, but then not take the time to understand what those people really need? Well, I mean, I do work on the research side. And so I, you know, because I work on the research side, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a research geek, you know, so like, I do geek out about like methodology, and I, I do care about, you know, things like that, that I know, as soon as I start talking about, you know, the reasons why things take a long time, or, you know, the reasons why we have to do things a certain way. Um, people's eyes glaze over. Um, so I, I get it, you know, um, they, you know, they just, they don't care. Um, I think, you know, the, the struggle that I'm having currently at my current job, um, is that, you know, to me, research has always been in support of design. Um, you know, I, my background is actually in design. It's not in research. It's not in social science. Um, but I've always worked as a research practitioner and uh, for the most part. And, um, you know, you can't understand design or you can't understand research if you don't understand design because research fits into the context of design. And it, if you don't understand product development, you're not going to understand how design fits into product development. And I think 
there's a lot of problems with people just understanding product development as a whole. I mean, think about Agile, for example. I mean, everybody says they do Agile. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do Agile. No, not you know? well, anyway. Um, I think there's so many misconceptions about what Agile even is. And um, not to knock on Agile, but I think Agile, right, if, if there was like a Venn diagram of Agile versus human-centered design, you know, there'd be a lot of overlap between the two. But, you know, somehow Agile got more attention and is... Uh, more relevant to business than human-centered design. And so now everybody cares about agile. Nobody cares about human-centered design. And, you know, the the idea of like fast iteration and, um, you know, constant, you know, improvement and learning, right? That's a part of human-centered design. Um, but yet, you know, research isn't necessarily built into agile. Um, I mean, it, it might be on paper, but like the details of how you actually do fit research into Agile isn't really thought through, but it is in human-centered design, I would argue. So it's just, it's frustrating that, you know, we're competing for um, attention, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, with all these other sort of philosophies. So I, I guess I think we're we're dealing with a bigger problem than just user experience. I think we're dealing with um, a lot of just competing product development philosophies. Um, I, I don't think that anybody really knows what they're doing anymore. <laughs> it's funny, like, I know agility gets a lot of crap, some of it legit. And like you said, I, I'd agree. Very few organizations do it well. Um, and, you know, I think you go back to the manifesto, Agile is four values and 12 principles, right? And one of those principles is continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. But again, somehow that good design part got lost. And it's just, it's just not about continuous learning. It's get more crap out faster. Yeah. Yep. So, and I think maybe that's why business latched onto it. Right. And they, they sort of turned it into a process because you know, the reality is that it is a set of principles. It is almost like a philosophy, like human-centered design. It's not a detailed process. I mean, people have taken it and turned it into a process, but it's really a set of, you know, values and a culture um, similar to design. So it's uh, it's frustrating that so many people have latched on to to that, but haven't latched onto design in the same way. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure, sure why. Yeah. When I think back, what initially drew me to agile was the, the same lack of research that, that we were just talking about. And I thought, well, if we're not going to do the research, at least let's release frequently so we can get feedback that way. But it's still, that's different than doing that, doing the upfront understanding uh, and doing that sort of the deeper, you know, contextual modeling and everything that, uh, um, you know, the, the kind of work they used to do with, with eLab. So as a director in user research, you talk about how geeking out can turn off the non-researchers, but imagine another part of your role has to be selling the value of what you do. What have you found are the ways that you're able to connect um, 
to, to non-UXers, non-researchers, to get them to believe and get them to buy in and see the, the impact that you and your team can have? I mean, it's, it's the classic, you know, you have to speak in terms, in the business terms, in the things that they value, right? So I talk about research in terms of, um, you know, solution, ado increasing solution adoption, um, which is a big issue with, with our particular um, end users uh, in public safety, as well as, um, you know, reducing uh, risk to market. So, um, you know, just especially with with our government users um they have a lot of training we want to reduce their training that's a huge burden to them so there's a lot of things that we can do with research um that have you know measurable direct impact on the product that you know results in measurable um impact to our customers so it, it's not too hard i think for for us to um to demonstrate the value of research. Uh, you know, another sort of benefit that I have in my organization is that I don't report up through the product group. Um, I actually report up through our chief technology office. And I think that that is huge. Um, if I had to report up through the product uh, group, I would uh, we would be having a very different conversation. Actually, I don't know if I'd be working there, honestly, because I, I think that because we don't report through them, we have the ability to push back. Um, you know, like my team reports on, you know, we push back on features. Um, we surface, you know, when we think things are risky um, to deliver to customers, you know, we will report back on that stuff. We will push back. Um, and we have all the freedom uh, to do so. And I know in other organizations, you know, where they do report in, they don't have that flexibility um, or freedom to to do things like that. They really, right, they're all one team. And so that bias, you know, sort of doesn't allow them to sort of take that fully objective view. So um, structure, you know, the the way the organization is structured, I think, makes such a huge difference in in how you function <laughs> so that's fascinating because i would guess that if you asked 10 ux folks where should ux report should it report into technology or product most of them would say product what is it that your uh, tech organization or your tech leadership does differently that's giving you the support that you need to be able to push back i think a lot of people would say, well, when I've reported to tech, I was sort of subsumed and, and really serving the technology instead of serving the user. What's different about, uh, about Motorola here? So, well, so the product management, right, they still make the decisions about the product, for sure. They're the decision makers. We don't make the decisions, but, um, and, and they have the budget, right? We are not a P&L. Um, so we do get our funding through them. Um, so they pay for our resources. However, you know, once that resource is paid for, you know, we still manage the allocation of that person's time. So that it's sort of like a, you know, a sunk cost once they've paid for that resource. Um, and so again, they trust us to, you know, use that resource 
however we want. Now we still have to work with the business and listen to their needs. We're not going to go off and go do research in areas that aren't relevant to the business. That would be, you know, kind of irresponsible. Um, but it, it just, again, it affords us that freedom to push back where, where necessary. But again, it balances out because they're still the decision makers and we aren't. Um, but if we report it in, I, it would be really different. Um, it would not, it would not work well, I don't hmm. think. That's interesting. It sounds like uh, I know what I forget what it was called. It used to be that wall between the investment banking side and the the retail banking side. I know that's gone, but to kind of create that that separation, it sounds like this separation is is positive in this case. Um, given that you have that that freedom to decide how you work, how do you prioritize um, what? what you choose to research and how much of it is driven by you and your team, how much of it is requests coming in and how do you, how do you balance it all? Um, well, when I first joined Motorola, you know, they really didn't have much research at all. Um, and I would say that the research that they were doing was, you know, very foundational in nature. It was like personas and workflows. They weren't doing any evaluative research. They weren't doing a lot of, um, you know, any usability testing. And and again, like, you know, the space in which we work, we, we design products that work in a mission critical environment. So, um, you know, it's really important to get that stuff right. And so I came in and when I learned that they really weren't, you know, doing these things, it scared the shit out of me. So honestly, um, and so the way I prioritize things was, um, you know, any product that we were designing that had a major UI paradigm shift and was going to be in a mission critical environment, we needed to test the shit out of that stuff immediately and make sure there weren't any major issues. So um, that was priority number one. Um, and then, you know, there, there are sort of kind of lesser, there are still important contexts that we need to consider, but maybe not as mission critical. Um, and there are different kind of users that are, uh, you know, very important. So just to give you, so just to give you a sense of the space in which we work, we have 30 different third, like around 30 different personas, personas, <laughs> like, um, and the, honestly, they're not even really personas. They're just roles within public safety that we designed like for. Most personas tend um, to be. They're not, right, right. They're not, they're not personas. So, um. So it's a huge space that we have to understand and design for. Um, and, and we cover about, I would say, like 30 to 40 products as well. So it's wow. just a huge, massive space. Um, so, uh, yeah, in terms of <laughs> priority, you know, like that was definitely one of the ways um, I prioritized. Uh, you know, the business had a certain strategy that they were um, you know, trying to execute. And so, you know, getting my team to, to help, uh, help the business execute that strategy. Um, that was another area. Um, right now we've, we've sort of pivoted a little bit. And so now my team is kind of working to help, uh, us figure out where we need to pivot. Um, and, and so I would actually say that my team is 
really trying to help Motorola become more data-driven mm. and make more data-driven decisions. So it's not just that we're a research team. We're, we actually, <laughs> we call ourselves trash pigs. <laughs> we call our team the trash pigs because there's this like, there's this like gif of this like pig that pulls this like trash bag out of a dumpster. And that's what we kind of think of ourselves as because we're like constantly like going around Motorola trying to find like any bits of data that we can to try to like piece it together to find like a holistic picture of like what's going on with our with our products. Um, just because Motorola is very fragmented because it's um, grown by acquisition. Mm. So we're trying to like kind of piece it back together. Um, so your team is doing so. both the qualitative and the quantitative uh, data, putting that together. How, how I'm now I'm curious, how big is, is the team and how is it split between qual and quant? So we have um, nine people on our team um, and the team is actually split into three uh, groups. We have uh, foundational research and those uh, researchers are aligned with business units. So they're sort of embedded with the design teams. Um, so they're kind of working on the foundational research and, and working with those designers to translate the insights um, and help the designers understand, you know, what the needs are. Then we have um, an evaluative research team that's just kind of, you know, cranking out, you know, getting feedback constantly on design work. Um, and we're also building sort of an online research community so we can turn around feedback faster. And then finally, we have a UX measurement team that's really focused on, you know, metrics, um, you know, product outcomes, uh, usability testing. Um, and then, you know, we, you know, we have a lot of sources of data. And so we just have like people that love data and just want to like dig into it and, and find whatever they can. And, and thankfully, you know, we work with, you know, within government. And so there's a lot of also great open source data um, that we can leverage as well. So we're, depending on the topic, we're always like poking around and, and finding stuff like the trash pigs that we are. I love, love so. that trash pig. <laughs> Nine people for 30 products. That That's, um, it, it sounds like you might be a little uh, uh, overwhelmed with, with that. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is like, we, we do so much work. We have such an amazing team and like, you know, right. Like the business doesn't know what an awesome team we have and how much work we do, you know, they're just complaining, you know, and it's <laughs> like, I just have to shield my team from it. You know, it's just, it's a bummer. It's like, they don't know how good they have it, you know? Yeah, I, I um, but my team is very much in a growth mode, and I've got li a little bit of support in different areas. And I've been saying this is the part in our evolution where everyone gets a little support and nobody's happy, right? You, everyone wants help, yeah. but it's never enough. Everyone just, you know, right? Totally. Um, with the three teams now, was that the structure when you joined uh, Motorola? No, um, I, I reorged our team because um, we just, we needed to increase the amount of evaluative research significantly that we were doing. We weren't, we weren't showing designs um, at all uh, and getting feedback on them from, from our end users. And we desperately needed to, because again, like our, we might be designing for like a evidence tech and, you know, 
who we we can't put ourselves in the shoes of an evidence tech. <laughs> you know, it's it's too too uh, specific yeah. of a I don't role, even know what an and so we tech really is. need <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we really need feedback from that person. Um, and you know, the designers were doing the best they could. You know, making cho- you know the best user experience choices that they could. But you know, the reality is that. You can't guess at what an you know what an evidence tech wants. In fact, we did one um, project with nine one one call takers, and we were um, we were designing for these uh, different notifications that they get, and we created this two by two, and we we guessed where all these notifications would fall on this two by two. Basically, like what's the most urgent, and then what do you have to take action on. So we plotted them and like, then we had uh, some subject matter experts do the same activity and we had plotted like almost half of them incorrectly. And it just shows you that like, you can't guess, you know, at this stuff. Um, And so, and we're happy to be wrong, right? Like we we're when we're wrong, we're glad (laughs) that we, that we've checked our answer and that we know that we're, we're not right with this stuff. So, um, we we just we have to do research in this kind of company. I mean, you can't skimp on research at, when you're designing for public safety. Hmm. Are there? I don't know how they how they did it for so long, honestly. Without <laughs> research, all... it's scary. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. Are there? Um, and maybe not at Motorola, but have, you know, have you run into stakeholders before who either have played a role and say, "Well, I I know what people want. You can trust me. I'll just tell you." Oh, of course. What? I got an email yesterday from an inter- internal subject matter expert who was not even a former end user. This person was just a trainer. They train. And this person got angry because their feedback wasn't immediately incorporated into the design work. What? Also, it was one person which like, right, this also, we went back to the raw data. This one person's feedback was an anomaly. He didn't <laughs> even like align with the, the majority of the feedback. So like the, that, but what that shows you is that this person doesn't understand research, doesn't understand design, right? Like, I mean, aside from just being like a whiny jerk, for sending that email, right? Like, that's the thing that scares me is like, are your expectations that unrealistic that you think that design can turn around, you know, like feedback like a day later and just should immediately incorporate feedback? Like that's so unreasonable. And yet it's pervasive. Um, Totally, that's what bothers me though. It's just like, I don't know why this is like, the, I have such a chip on my shoulder about this, but like my, I, so I report into um, uh, the, the head of data science, you know, and in my head all the time when things like this happen, I'm like, you know, do people go to the head of data science and question, you know, like, do they, do they complain to him about like, well, I don't know if this, you know, algorithm is right. Fix it now. Like, I don't know if you did this right, but yet like they do that with design. They do that with research. Everybody's a researcher. 
You know, it's such bullshit. It's like we we went to school. We went to Carnegie Mellon. That's like a great school. I'm like so proud to have gone there. I can't even believe I got in. Actually, my guidance counselor told me that I wouldn't get in. So <laughs> she can go to hell. But like, I don't know. I just, I can't believe that. Just that they they lead with mistrust when it comes to research and design, but not with any other discipline, you know? Yeah, everyone with at least um, one I eye just find that really surprising. It. Yeah, everyone thinks they're a designer. No one thinks they're a database engineer. No one thinks they're a you know data analyst. Um, but you know you've used in, you've used interfaces, and you probably have a friend. So that's enough data to to have an opinion. Well, and all those like UX certificate programs didn't really help things. You know, when everybody and their brother got one of went to one of those programs, learned HTML, and was like, "I'm a designer." You know, like that was not great for our field. Yeah. I mean, I, we had a similar thing like in, in the late 90s <laughs> when, you know, IA was booming and lots of people without experience got hired, but then the crash kind of wiped out a lot of uh, uh, a lot of folks, um, some very qualified as well. Um, that, that's actually an interesting pivot. So in your other life, you're an educator. Yeah. How does your experience as a research director change how you teach and what do you bring into your curriculum and, and maybe how is that different from maybe other other courses or other uh, UX education programs you've come across? Well, the first thing I, I want to say about teaching is that um, teaching, it has been the best thing for me and has taught me how to articulate things about design that are very difficult to articulate. Um, because, you know, students will ask questions and you have to explain things. <laughs> and, you know, as we, as we know, design is design and research, very difficult to sometimes explain. Um, so it's been immensely valuable um, to just have to explain things over and over again and come up with different ways of explaining it. The, the problem, though, is that explaining things to a student is totally different than explaining things to an executive. Um, the student is, right, number one, willing to listen, <laughs> wants <laughs> to learn, right, um, is, is actively studying this topic for a reason, uh, values this information and is also looking at you as an expert. Um, so all things that I unfortunately don't have in my work life, um, right? People are like, who the hell is this person? You know, IDEO doesn't mean anything to people that I work with. They don't care that I worked at IDEO. They don't care that I've done any of the things that I have done in my career that I'm super proud of. They're just like, whatever, which is tough. You know, it's like, it's like being the popular kid at, at school and then going to college. And then they're just like, who the hell are you? You know, you got to like work your way up again. It's tough, man. That wraps up part one of my conversation with April Starr. Tune in next week as we talk more about design education, dive into the origin of the cancer worksheets and much more. Have questions or comments about this episode? Join the conversation with Shuffle. You can download the app for iOS or Android at getshuffle.app or at the special link on the show notes page at sucks.live. That's S-U-X or saving U-X dot live. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes like the rest of this chat. You can also follow me on Twitter at Sonarc, S-O-N-A-R-C, or on LinkedIn, where I post show updates. If you prefer old-fashioned email, you can sign up for email updates at sucks.live as well. Until next time, I'm Jeremy Kriegel, and this has been Saving UX. Thank you.